This week on Trek, Mary Kill. Transmuter, curse, kitty. Oh, it's Halloween next. Captain's log, stardate 3018.2. Crewman Jackson is dead. Captain Kirk, there is a curse on your ship. Temperature, sir. It keeps rising. We're burning up, sir. sure it's brian because i thought it was a spooky ghost <laughs> and i'm oh, the jig is up <laughs> yeah. uh welcome to trek mary kill a star trek podcast where we examine episodes from across the many series to decide which are good which are great and which are playing an elaborate trick-or-treat on us it's spooky season Kristen, and so this week mm. we're tackling star trek's most overt halloween themed episode cat's paw from the second season of the original series Kristen, are you a Halloween person? Not not particularly, no. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's it. That, moving on. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to have a costume this year, but it's only because I had half of it already for a different costume. That was not Halloween. When social media used to be a thing, one of your claim to fames was being, uh, like, you innovated a, a, a costume. Um, I didn't innovate it, but I you did wear... perfected it? <laughs> yeah. So to a company costume contest, I was a giant ear of corn. And this was a professional, like, movie quality costume. It was a foam walkabout costume that required uh, assistance to get in and out of. And the, there was a contest. And would you like to know? Yes. All the details, please. It, it didn't go well. I did not win anything. Despite mine being the best costume, one guy got like third prize and he was wearing just like a 300 costume from Party City, but he was in like decent shape. <laughs> so clearly there were just some secret crushes in the office were like, this is my yes. chance. To and the people who were voting on it were like the executives. I won't say their names, but like they're people you would have heard of if you know about television executives. And there's actually pictures of me, my back turned, getting critiques um, from the panel. But I look, it looks like very funny and kind of dejected because I'm like, just like the side of your going like, okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> but apparently like what was really popular that year was if you had some kind of theme that was relevant to something that happened in or around the office instead of just being like the best costume. I see. Yeah. How was the 300 thing connected to anything going on in the office? It, no, no, he only because he he was in oh, decent shape. Decent shape. Got it. Okay. And they were like, oh, our gay executive isn't here. So we think we're going to vote for him. Just like literally said this. They said this. 
um, vote for him because he would have wanted it that way. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Wow. Okay. Well, my Halloween story was simply going to be every year. And after that, bought- honestly, after that, I was like, Fuck Halloween. Halloween is over. And by and the first prize was five hundred dollars, and I wanted that money. Wow. Five hundred dollars cash, not like a gift wow. card. Cash. <laughs> Jeez. Which for him, they just stuffed in his belt. He was third prize, which I think was like a hundred bucks or whatever. But yeah, but the people who won, it was like a group costume so each probably got 75 bucks or whatever so it wasn't even worth it for them Hmm. so yeah halloween i mean i'm not against it the people who go nuts all month make it a deal good for them great uh the only my halloween story is that i we get halloween candy every year and no trick-or-treaters ever come so that's it should we come to your house this time Sure, we may not be here this year. Well, so, oh, so, so no. Mm. <laughs> but you can always come on by and just uh, roll the dice Ask for candy. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> uh, I mean, I if we buy candy, it's nice to have people, other people, eat it besides us because it has deleterious effect on my physique and my health. If I oh, just... you're supposed to buy candy you don't like. That's the trick. <laughs> you don't know that. I wait. Well. I, I mean, I want to get candy that people like, and I like most candy, so there's that problem. I mean, I'm, well, so if, like for instance, I I'm lactose intolerant, so I just get chocolate stuff that I'm not going to eat, and then. But for me, it would be like loading up on almond joys, and then it's like, yeah. well, that's not a good thing to give children. That's cruel. Eh, I don't care. But I I wait until after Halloween to get the candy I want because that's when candy corn is heavily discounted, and then you that's like when candy it's candy corn. Yes. Love it. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. one of those people. <laughs> but not, not, not year round, just uh, it's Halloween time. Oh, candy corn. I'll eat but that. Do, sure. Do you eat peeps? Uh, I don't really like peeps all that much. I'm not like against marshmallow. I just pick my spots. Peeps. Eh. The Cadbury eggs. The Cadbury eggs, when you watch that bark, 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 bark commercial. Mm-hmm. When you're a little kid, you're like, God, I get a Cadbury egg. They and still what, run that on tele- on linear television. Oh, really? right. same, I same, finally same commercial. <laughs> I think it was several years after like being enchanted by the commercial as a child. It was not until I was like 14 or 15 where I finally had one. Because I think my our family was our parents or grandparents were like, absolutely not. We are not giving them. <laughs> it's very right. expensive and very I sweet. Have- a Cadbury, at least one Cadbury egg per year. And they well, make caramel ones now, though. Well, I, I mean, I've had them That's and great. I'm like, I'm good. I think the, this is something if I never eat again, I'll, I'll be fine with it. It's like my son, if year. you will eat like a truck full of them, <laughs> I think if you if he had the opportunity. I think they uh, also make tiny ones now, too. I think so. They, they've diversified quite a bit, the, which the was a smart move. Chocolate to filling ratio is off. Yes. In your standard Cadbury cream egg. Obviously, Halloween, there's there's more to it than candy, but I, I like that both of us have just kind of settled on oh, the candy. So. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I had that one bad experience. Yes. And I, I'm never <laughs> doing it again. You pivoted hard to some other aspect. I I think I also, you know, I it's not that I don't like scary things, but for me, that's like one of those things where it's occasionally. I don't need to watch 31 days of horror movies or 
anything like that. But you know, yeah, I, like also turns out I don't actually care for horror films. I, I thought I yeah. did, but then I was like, actually, no, I really don't. And also, I just want to make it clear. I have no judgments on people who love horror movies and they can watch literally any horror movie. Yeah. Like, uh, most of the ones I, most of the people I've no, met. I'll who say, are like, I'll, I get it. I get the appeal. Yes. Just not for and most of the people I know who are obsessed with horror movies or or just like them a lot, they are like, no, I'm aware that most of these movies, like 98 percent of them are shit. Like, I'm very aware. So I'm like, I, fine, you can have that. That's fine. Uh, but you know, with, like, I think every once, so often, once they did away with the nudity in horror films is when <laughs> I, I, started, I was like, there's no point to this. I mean, it's supposed to have a yin and yang almost. There's supposed yes. to be more entertainment than just watching people get slashed to death. So, yes, that's right. Give us the puerile interest, the violent imagery. Give it all. Let's have it. Yeah. There's uh, got to be to, there's got to be tits in your horror movie. That's my rule. Anyway, sorry about Star Trek. <laughs> well, all this is tapping into our episode that we're discussing. Cat's Paw from season two of the original series, which, you know, that episode has an entire uh, exploration of how the aliens at the root of this are tapping into the human subconscious, our cultural subconscious. So it's all there. It's all playing on it. Cat's Paw aired on NBC October 27th, 1967, written by Robert Block, directed by Joseph Pevney. It's the seventh episode of the original series, second season. But and I cannot stress this enough. It was the first episode shot for the season, which so nuts, like not originally planned to be aired near Halloween. From the outset, they were like, we're going to shoot this first, probably because the lead time for a lot of the visual effects that they had in this one and getting all the other stuff together. But Memory Alpha's description, a landing party of Sulu, Scott and crewman Jackson on Pyrus 7 is overdue for a routine check in when Jackson finally answers the USS Enterprise's urgent hails his disconcerting message one to beam up and when jackson is beamed aboard by kyle he materializes on the transporter pad and he immediately falls down to the floor dead but from his dead lips a sonorous voice tells captain kirk that his ship is cursed he must leave or all will die turns out it's a couple of aliens from another galaxy who are committed to studying other beings and quickly become seduced by human sensations this episode hauntingly introduces us to Ensign Chekhov. <laughs> yeah, it sure does. If you're into that sort of thing. Uh, actually, you know, I, I worth pointing out that he was put in there in response to what the kids were watching, which the uh, Emmy-winning best comedy series in 1966, Kristen, and we will be talking about the 1966-67 Emmys very much towards the end of this one, but the Emmy oh, for best comedy went to the monkeys. Mm-hmm. So they're like, let's put one of the fucking monkeys in our show. <laughs> so, yeah, we get Ensign Chekhov. Walter Koenig had not yet grown his hair out fully. So he's wearing what could generously be described as a wig. But oh it looks God. like a pile of <laughs> bird feathers. It's really bad. <laughs> Oof. This episode also marks the final appearance of Lieutenant DeSalle. We remember him fondly. <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah, we hardly knew the anyway. Right. Uh, according to the Mark Cushman book, these are the voyages TOS season two, which I've referenced previously. Director Joseph Pevney claims credit for Walter Koenig, both becoming Chekhov and then basically having a career at all. 
when Pevney directed an episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents, he was the one who had cast Chekhov or Walter Koenig in that. And when the role of Chekhov needed to be cast, he's like, I thought he would be an interesting Russian type fellow. So I brought him in and he had a new career. He looks so great. He's got a great face. He has some kind of an interesting accent, but it sure ain't Russian in any event. Who cares? Well, it turns out Koenig's parents were Russian Jewish immigrants in the Soviet Union. So I don't know. <laughs> I think it all worked out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, also just to really double down on the Russianness, uh, Walter Koenig's father was a communist who was investigated by the FBI during the McCarthy era. Yeah, it doesn't get much more Russian than that, does it? Yeah. His Russian bona fides are top notch. Uh, and, and then interestingly, worth pointing out, Walter Koenig well, was in the Neighborhood Playhouse School of the Theater in New York City with fellow students Dabney Coleman, Christopher Lloyd, and James Kahn. He turned 87 back in September. And go listen to our the episode 302 of Star Trek Picard Season 3. We have Joel Silverman on as a guest. And he gives this really touching story of an encounter yeah, with Walter Koenig. that's great. So. I'll talk about Joseph Pebney the next time we do an episode of his, but he loved directing Star Trek and he directed many classic episodes. So I'm sure we'll talk about him at a later date. Let's talk about this episode a little bit more, but just inch into it just a little bit because we're talking about Halloween and Halloween costumes. I already mentioned a wig. Chris and I sent you the link. The auction, I think, is finally passed mm-hmm. now that this episode. Yeah, I dropped. didn't click on that because I don't care <laughs> <Okay>. enough, but, <laughs> but I guess I uh, could now. Greg Jean, who was uh, a famous, I, I should say, uh, a prop maker, model maker in Hollywood for many, many, many years. He made a lot of your like iconic science fiction imagery and film and TV, but he also had quite a lot of props. And if you've ever wondered where X, Y, or Z prop from Star Trek, the original series, Next Generation, basically any of the shows, chances are Greg Jean had it, had it in his collection. He passed away in an heritage auction is basically auctioning off for his estate. And one of the items oh it is William Shatner's hairpiece. Current bid, uh, $2,100. <laughs> and mm. when you look at the image, you can your brain auto-completes William Shatner's <laughs> face in yeah. the rest of it. It's unmistakably his hairpiece. Uh, I think I've maybe admitted this before. I've never been able to tell where the piece lines are like I've never, it's never made sense to me. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a picture out there of William Shatner's, you know, untoupaid head, but I I've never been able to figure out his real hairline just by looking at images of his. Thankfully, this episode actually has a lot of uh, that toupee gets a workout in this. One. Yeah. So, but anyway, I just want to say, just wanted to mention that, that, that props up for sale and that he had the hair piece at all for all these years. <laughs> yeah, is, if is if hilarious. you were in the market. Yes. <laughs> It could be yours for allegedly $2,100. I also want to say, like, for me, Shatner, that was actually the first thing I ever knew about him. Like, oh, that's Captain Kirk. That's William Shatner. He he wears a toupee. And, like, that was the first thing that I've ever known about him. And so, obviously, <laughs> it's like that being the first fact in my William Shatner dossier in my mind. It, it yeah. Well, out. nowadays, you can just go to Turkey and get some hair plugs. Yeah. Um, and there's other stuff you can do. But back then, everyone had a hairpiece. Yeah. And I mentioned this. This was the first episode of the second season, which we admit is nuts. <laughs> and that is 
Uh, but you know, for optical effects purposes, that's one thing. But the other part is like, it just made me think about when you come back from the summer break for shows and you know, everyone's in a good mood, good energy. You're excited. You're getting paid to make TV and that is cool. And you know, usually the cast there, they've slimmed down cause it's, I know people are like, it's a glamorous lifestyle and whatever, but it's like a lot of waiting around when you're on set. So, and there's just like food everywhere and you know, you're inside a lot. So like the, the fitness regime, the health consciousness can be a little tricky, especially when you're doing 22 plus episodes a season, which now is less of an issue. But anyway, so usually your cast come back svelte, they've vacationed, they've had breaks. Maybe they've shot a movie. They're tan. They're, they're tan. Yeah. The tan got good haircuts, all that stuff. So there's like an energy and it usually lasts through the first two episodes very easily. And then by the episode four is usually when everyone kind of like settles in. I've never worked on a show that had just become a hit. Like I've never mm-hmm. been on the set, the after the hiatus where it blew up and, and everyone's gotten the sit with that. And for Star Trek, it was quite a hiatus. A lot of shit happened when they landed for day one of filming. That morning, the Emmy nominations had come out. Star Trek was nominated for Best Dramatic Series. Over the summer, in our good friend TV Guide, uh, <laughs> fucking Isaac Asimov had written a very long article. Like, what, how many pages in TV Guide were devoted to the articles? Or I guess it was small type. But this was a very long essay he wrote uh, called Mr. Spock is Dreamy. And it's all but it's very funny if you read it now and recontextualize for today. It's very much how like I always thought it was like women like the strong brutes and the jocks. But it turns out smart is sexy. I mm-hmm. wish I'd known that sooner. But it's basically uh, it's basically a, a love letter to Spock and by extension Leonard Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy had a contract dispute with the studio with Desilu and I think Gene Ronberry and he had worked it out and he had doubled his salary and and one of the conditions of his new contract was like getting the C drafts of the script before they mm-hmm. were like distributed and give notes and then he had an album coming out like in a month after he started shooting so <laughs> Leonard Nimoy was like the the first millennial in a lot of ways, yeah. he was like a multi-hyphenate. He had a lot going on. Um, you know, and so all that in the context of they get to the first day uh, of shooting for season two. Shatner's great. He's, you know, looks great. He's the star of the show. But over the summer, everyone's been focused on Leonard Nimoy and Mr. Spock and Leonard Nimoy was nominated for Best Supporting Actor and Shatter didn't get shit. Oh. <laughs> so, tension from day one of season two. Absolute diva shit on the Leonard Nimoy front too. And if you read the Cushman book, there's like a whole thing, that one continuity error in this episode from the moment in the beginning where they're like, we need to go to the transporter room. And they rush from the, tra- the bridge to the transporter room only Kirk shows up. Spock doesn't go with him, even though he left the bridge with him. And you would think that Leonard Nimoy being able to review all the scripts would have caught that, but he missed it, you know, because he's thinking about his album. Yeah, a lot going on. But it's because he was really afraid that because he was getting more attention and he had won this doubling of pay, then that would mean that they would use him less. 
So he was mm-hmm. being very, and obviously the friction with Shatner and that losing lines and all that stuff. I want to just point this out. At no point watching this episode did I ever get the feeling that Shatner is like, I want to fucking murder this guy. No. At any at every point in this episode, my entire feeling was like, Kirk loves Spock. He loves him quite yeah. a lot. And I think that that just shows how great Shatner is. His performance is great. But I also just like this history of television shit because I think you had asked a couple weeks ago why the cast was so bad, like such divas. And it's just like, yeah. Different time. There wasn't a lot of other uh, competing entertainment options. And when someone blew up, they really blew up in the cultural consciousness. So um, Leonard Nimoy was an icon after 30 episodes. Uh, One final icon before we get to, you know, specific thoughts. The writer Robert Block, the writer of this episode, Robert Block, was a Hugo Award winning author whose book Psycho, you might have heard of, became a very famous movie Mm. by Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, I want to admit that I've only seen some of Psycho because I fell asleep in film class when we were watching it because it was in black and white. And I've <laughs> only seen part of Vertigo because it was boring. And then yeah. not not too long ago, I went and saw North by Northwest and I loved it. It's I couldn't so believe it. <laughs> I couldn't believe you know, it. <laughs> you know what it is? It's Cary Grant. That's what it is. But anyway. Robert Block wrote the season one episode, What Are Little Girls Made Of?, which we haven't done yet, which maybe we should have because it's like it's like the Rosetta Stone for Strange New World writers. It's like the only information they have about Nurse Chapel to go off of. And they're like they're basing her entire personality on that one episode. But anyway, he wrote that episode and Cushman's reaction in the preamble to going through all the production details of this episode He said, Robert Block's script for What Are Little Girls Made Of had to be heavily rewritten by Gene Roddenberry. If not for Block's high esteem among fans of science fiction and horror, he might never have been invited back. (laughs) And then he goes on to talk about Gene L. Coon and Gene Roddenberry. And then finally, DC Fontana really rescued that script by making it shootable. That's the Mm -hmm. the thing that people have to understand. Like a lot of uh, writers can write. If I go through Robert Block's credits, he's basically written... Before the internet, he wrote in literally every medium that exists in, in on Earth. He's written articles, radio plays, stage. Like he is a writer. He knows what he's doing. He's won awards. Very popular. Can't write TV. Hard to write TV. Yeah. To write something that's shootable in the time constraints and the budget constraints. And so, you know, especially with science fiction fantasy, it's very easy to go out of budget. So, anyway, uh, it's just funny to think about that they were. Uh, concerned about like incurring the wrath of the blockheads or the blockchain yeah. or whatever his fan oh, fan groupies might have been in the 60s but all right let's do some details about this episode before we get to the grades Kristen, are you a cat person yes <laughs> a cat figures prominently in this episode i did oh, not yeah. get the name of the cat uh it's a black cat it's a male cat that's about those are the only details i got about the cat itself uh it's the 60s and I'm pretty sure that there weren't a lot of rules about how uh, animals are treated on sets. That was yeah, probably not. Like <laughs> so they had to get a lot of hissing and and uh, sounds. And I'm sure that that cat was not treated well. But uh, cute cat. Thought so. My favorite part of the cat, uh, besides watch- watching it run away and run around and prance around. Very cute. <laughs> All the reaction shots of our cast being like, oh, brother. Yeah. 
<laughs> like literally all like Kirk, Spock, and McCoy each get a moment of observing the cat being like, geez. And no one, no one has a laser pointer to distract it. <laughs> well, now they would. <laughs> yeah. Title of this episode, Cat's Paw, is a term that describes a person used by another as a dupe. It's based on uh, Aesop's fable. I, I don't I don't remember that. This seems like one of those phrases that, like an old-timey phrase that we don't use anymore, right? Mm-hmm. No, uh, no, one, no one calls it that anymore. Yeah. Robert Block wrote in reference to the old ones in this episode, Korob and Sylvie, the aliens in this one. They make reference to... Um, to the old ones that also exists in what are little girls made of. So he's kind of ripping off himself there. That's fine. It's no problem. Uh, the episode marks several changes to the episode credits from this point on the episode titles and end credits are in the same font as the main title of the series. Directors and writers are credited at the beginning of act one instead of at the end of the last act. And DeForest Kelly's name is added to the opening credits. They also redid the score, added some reverb to Kirk's space, the final frontier. Um, and then most crucially, they added the of the Enterprise mm-hmm. zipping by. So that's a big change. And then my last two memory alpha notes, a detailed metal prop miniature of the Enterprise was created for this episode. It's so cool. Just dangles over <laughs> the flame. Oh, it's great. Uh, then it was laminated in Lucite as one of Korob's tricks. The miniature was donated to the Smithsonian National Air and Space Museum. I can't wait to go because... Oh, you've never been. I've never been. Oh, I, 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 it was so long ago. I can't tell you if it's there or not. I don't know. But also, the, not everything they have been donated do they put on display. Yeah. So. But the original shooting model of the Enterprise now is back out on display, restored and everything. And I desperately want to see that in person one time. So, uh, And then the final note from Memory Alpha, Theo Marcus, the actor who plays Korob, died in a car crash the month after this episode aired. Uh, he served as a lieutenant in the United States Navy during World War II. He was a submarine officer, had been awarded the Silver Medal for Valor in Combat. I really feel like if he had lived, he would have been back on Star Trek, like as some other alien or person. He was Probably. really good. He was great. So that was, that was just like a bummer to read that. And I just wanted to mention it. Um, I was wrong. I have uh, three quick notes from the Cushman book. Robert Block said, I do have some quibbles about the way in which things were done. It wasn't their fault, but they just didn't have the budget. Catspaw cried out for the use of opticals and post-production effects. Shooting a cat's face in tight close-up is not exactly any substitute for having a giant cat. Running down a few feet of cardboard corridors isn't the same as having your characters trapped in a labyrinth of frightening proportions. Well, whose ideas were those, Robert Block? Yeah. <laughs> You wrote the fucking thing. Yeah. Idiot. <laughs> don't come after me, blockheads. Okay, leave me yeah, alone. I, don't think, yeah, I think they're probably uh, dead. There's also a story about the cat. Douglas Grindstaff, Star Trek sound effects man, needed recordings of the cat for the soundtrack. He recalled, I wanted it hissing. I got the trainer and we brought in a dog and shoved the dog at the cat to get him to hiss. The cat put his paws right through the trainer's boots and right into his skin. He had to pet the cat to get it to release its grip. And then shooting a bunch of cat reactions. I don't know if anyone out there knows this. Cats do not take direction. <laughs> In fact, they do the opposite. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's very time consuming to write a cat into the episode. So whose stupid idea was that? And it time is money on a set. And it takes a lot of time to get the stuff you need from a cat, even if you're making compromises. So because of all the cat delays, a show that typically shot 
36,000 feet of film on an episode used 45,650. And we've talked about how the budget was slashed for season three. Well, it was also slashed for season two. The episode cost $217,285 in 1967, which is the equivalent of about $2 million today, but they were budgeted for $185,000, so $1.7 million. So in the first episode, they're like $300,000 in the hole. Yeah. Not a good way to start the season. <laughs> and also one note about cats. Um, so there was research done, and they said that cats can actually smell better than dogs, and their agility and ability to go into small spaces actually makes them better for search and rescue purposes but um the cats refused to be trained and so they wouldn't they wouldn't go and rescue anyone so and it wasn't like an intelligence thing they just like no thank you (laughs) i will not be i will not be rescuing anyone today thank you i decline no no thank you so haunted house cat uh black cat uh, three witches, ghosts, ghosts, or, uh, ghosts goblins, goblins, dungeons. Let's talk about in the grades. <laughs> well, I wanted to, before we get into the great scenes, I did want to talk about what else was going on on television in 1967. Um, so when I first watched this episode, I'm like, as a joke, I said, are they just repurposing the Dark Shadows set? And if you're unfamiliar, Dark Shadows was a ABC soap opera that ran in the 60s and into the early, I think late, either late 60s or early 70s. Um, and it was not very popular until in April of 1967, they decided to make it a vampire show. And they introduced, <laughs> it was just, a, it was about the, a rich family in a seaside town in New England. And then... In April, they introduced a care April of 1967. They introduced the character of Barnabas Collins, who was an ancestor of the Collins family, who was a vampire. And it became a ratings bonanza. It attracted the teenagers who were coming home from school because the it started airing, I think, at three, and then they moved it to 3:30 and then to 4 p.m. So that was very, it was very popular all throughout summer. Um, It didn't get like, it didn't become number one in the ratings at ABC for another couple of years, but it had like a slow and steady um, increase in ratings, mostly from a teenage demographic who were very into the vampires, the werewolves, the spooky castles, the dungeons, all that stuff. And so I was just thinking like, wow, is this just because they knew people were, that's what people were kind of wanting to watch on TV. But it seems to me that it's kind of unlikely that they would have turned an episode around this quickly to like copy that. But it's still very interesting that that is just kind of what people were wanting to put on TV. Like the guy who wrote, um, who pitched Dark Shadows was like, I just always want to do a vampire movie. And so they're like, okay, I guess, I guess we'll just do it on daytime. And Dark Shadows is one of is unique among soap operas in that a lot of its episodes, especially from when Barnabas is uh, introduced, are available in syndication. And it used to be on Netflix. I think it's now on um, Peacock if you want to take a look at this. <laughs> and you should, because it's wild. 
And then they made a movie about it in 2012, starring, unfortunately, Johnny Depp. Is it any good? Um, it's it's honestly better than people gave it credit for. I think if you had no um, background about what Dark Shadows was, and you expected it to be like a serious sh- movie, then you were disappointed. But it was it was a farce, and it was supposed to be. And the original guy who played Barnabas is in it too. Oh, oh, that's sweet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Great scenes. Okay, what? so... Oh, sorry, you go ahead. <laughs> no. I mean, is there any dispute? Uh, Ensign Jackson beams aboard the Enterprise already dead? Yeah, absolutely. Monks on the transport. <laughs> I... He just takes a flop, like a, a World Cup level flop <laughs> off of the transporter platform. Dead. Yeah, cursed! Well, the opening scene is just Kirk and Spock on the bridge, like letting the audience know what's going on. It's really uh-huh. an annoying, pointless scene. And and you're like, eh, what's going on in this episode? And the moment they get to the transporter room, <laughs> that <laughs> funk of Jackson, just the like a tree falling, just lands. Right just whap. And you're like, whoa. And then, yes, then the mouth opens. And Captain Kirk, can you hear me? <laughs> there is yeah. a curse on your ship. Oh, it's so it's what a great cold open. So, yeah, what, I was what? how I was howling. Um, yeah, that's the only proper response. <laughs> yeah. Um, then the three ghosts appear after they beam down. Like go back. Captain Go back. Kirk. And it's like Captain three people Kirk. holding flashlights under their face <laughs> with like the weirdest, creepiest creature makeup. Like just not good though. Go it, was supposed, it was supposed to be three uh disembodied heads. And they couldn't yeah, okay. pull off the effects, so they left it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then even when they remastered it in 2006 they're like, we can't fix that, just leave it. Yeah. <laughs> so we get these Macbeth witches basically yeah. <laughs> floating around wanting away. <laughs> uh but it's great because then they get blown away when they're trying to like go towards the life signs they detect with the tricorder. And I love that moment because like this is all in the same scene. The wind machines blowing them around and they are throwing themselves, Kirk Spock and McCoy, flinging themselves at the rocks. Yeah. spinning and rolling and then Shatner's toupee is all messed up but like there's there's fog everywhere fog machines suck especially on a set it smells gross and it's like you wouldn't mm-hmm. tell you would have thought that they were actually getting blown away by like an actual strong gust of wind it was great yeah I'm so we're with, I'm with you on that and then I don't know did you like when they go into the, like the next great scene I have is when they finally meet Korob, but I I wonder, do you like any of the intervening scenes when they first get to the castle um, and there's the cat and they fall uh, I thought the that dungeon? when the cat turns into the Elizabeth Taylor knockoff, I thought that was hilarious too. Well, hold on, hold on, that's coming <laughs> because first they have to meet Korob, the the bald male guy, uh, part of this pair, and he reveals that he and the cat are not native to the planet, um, and it, it's a it's a very long scene and then it kind of splits in half where the cat leaves the room and comes back as this woman sylvie and it's like um it's a nine minute scene that is a long television scene but before she comes in they're talking and he goes 
you know, Star Trek, the original series to be is a, is a groundbreaking television show. I think that's inarguable in a lot of ways for the cast, some of the ideas, but I'm pretty sure it's the first time in American media where someone says the line, I do not understand that reference. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, they're, they've been joking about Spock not understanding trick or treat. And then McCoy brings that back as a callback and says, ah, he doesn't get trick or treat. And then Korob says trick or treat. I do not understand that reference. <laughs> Therefore it is of no importance, but I mean, an amazing, amazing uh, prognostication of future writing. Good job, Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, let's get into your... You texted me because of this. Sylvia, I've been calling her Sylvie because I was watching Loki. So Sylvia mm. is the... Uh, Season two is, out now. Yes, is the Elizabeth Taylor knockoff. Yes. So go on, Queen. <laughs> go off, Queen. <laughs> um, ugh, no, I don't remember everything I texted you. Hold on. Okay, so... <laughs> They are absolutely doing her as Elizabeth Taylor because at that time she was just gallivanting around Europe wearing caftans and they have her with the tall hair and the caftan. Like caftan, by the way, it's really nice. Like it's, I would wear the caftan. But she's clearly, it's just a, a bad imitation of her. But they are exactly the same age. But this woman looks 50 to me. <laughs> well, she probably smoked. Well, yeah. everyone smoked back then, yes. right? That's right. <laughs> no, no sunscreen, no retinol. This is what will happen to you. Three martini lunches. That's right. Also, just being a woman in Hollywood. I mean, it's terrible now. So I can't imagine mm -hmm. it was. Yeah. So this woman, I think, anything is more 30, than really awful. Five, she's like 35. 35. 35. Yeah. That's right. Shocking. Amazing. And is just doing a full-on Elizabeth Taylor impression. Yeah, <laughs> and not a very good one. By the way, another soap opera reference. This, Elizabeth Taylor was a huge fan of General Hospital to the point where she actually guest starred as a character named Helena Cassidyne in 1981 during Luke and Laura's wedding. But that character is still around, more or less. I don't, I, watch, I don't watch General Hospital anymore, but I sent Brian a picture of her as Helena Cassidyne, and she has like a turban on and it's great and there, if you go if you search on youtube there's actually like bloopers of her on set of general hospital like back when they still could take multiple takes but you can tell like the crew and the cast is like jesus christ she, <laughs> she does not know her lines like she's used to like million dollar productions and we got to get this shit this show on the fucking road here how many pages a day do they shoot on a soap opera it would have been so in 81 this was a special event so they probably would have taken more time because they did some location shoots. Um, they would do multiple takes. So um, I think back then it would they would just do one episode a day. And she wasn't on the whole episode, so it wasn't that much dialogue to remember. Nowadays, like on Days of Our Lives or something, you're, you probably need to do like three days worth of dialogue in a, in a day. Yeah, I was a page way, way, way back when, and, and uh, Y&R and B&B &B were two of the shows I was on and it's, it makes your head spin. Like how do they yeah, learn those lines? There's so much. The Bone and the Beautiful is only a half an hour show. Right. So for the hour long shows, yeah, it's longer. It's, it's more. Uh, but the, in this nine minute scene, you've got, you know, you know, they, Kirk, Spock and McCoy went down to the planet looking for Scotty and Sulu who didn't report back. They've been zombified basically by Korob and Sylvia. And she, you know, while she's monologuing, Kirk gets the jump on 
zombie Scotty holding a phaser. <laughs> and there's just a moment where he's like, stand back. And then he just shoves James Dewan. <laughs> just, just I shoves him wrote that off. down too. I was like, damn. <laughs> it is yeah, a really hard had a nice summer. <laughs> he body checks him, like just shoves him right into the, the wall. <laughs> And then uh, you've got the sympathetic magic made me think of the haunted house right at Disneyland. But, you know, she's she's explaining uh, she's holding the Enterprise, the metal Enterprise dangling on a necklace over the flame, which is causing the actual real Enterprise to superheat. We're burning up. Yeah, <laughs> We're everyone's the, very sweaty. Yeah, very sweaty young mon- uh, monkeys check off. <laughs> <laughs> uh but I, I it's a really long scene and it bleeds then it then the next scene is happens at the top of the next act and i thought it was great that was all great we got to know who korob and sylvia are kind of what they're about korob is very insistent that they they just go and they don't ask you more questions like just we want to ask you a few questions but then we want you to go and she's like i want to ask you a few questions and i want you to stay so there's already like a conflict between the two of them um do you have any other great scenes I, I only have I have two more. They're two to me great. Yeah. Scenes. Um there's a ferocious cat silhouette. And it was just hilarious because it looks like the cutest kitty just going like meow. And they've <laughs> so like they put had... in the noise. Yeah. And it's just a forced perspective, a shadow of a cat on yeah. a wall. The last ten minutes is just running around the haunted house by a, a forced perspective kitty cat blown up as a giant panther which looks ridiculous and it's kind of silly, but the sequence is all right. It's just kind of like, yeah, it's just kind of mindless. It's whatever. I didn't mention this. I don't, before we move on, I want to mention it. <laughs> the way Shatner also, so Shatner shoves James Dewan. There's one thing, but then he says when he, he figures out that they're being mind controls, he goes telekinesis. <laughs> telekinesis. I just thought, uh, shades of how he pronounces sabotage later on sabotage <laughs> that's how he pronounces oh, wow. sabotage sabotage <laughs> <laughs> yeah so the force perspective maybe maybe not the best part i think it kind of works against what was kind of like a, a charmingly retro or cheap looking seeming episode or i mean and everything was sort of suggesting what the, the mood they were going for and then once you get into the force perspective kitty cat it's like okay <laughs> yeah but there are two great scenes, I think, before the final act. Kirk and Spock are in the dungeon because Dr. McCoy stays behind again. By the way, wipes. I have to say, like, in the dungeon, Captain Kirk looks kind of hot chained up in the dungeon. <laughs> oh. And I felt very weird of feeling that, yeah. <laughs> I have to say, like, I feel weird saying and feeling that. <laughs> We've talked about Spurk before. And like, the definitely... lighting's very good. Yes, yes. He's got his uh, hiatus tan. And yeah, he's lost I all yeah. that weight. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> the the wig is fit great. So, <laughs> the wig the, is pay, on point. Yeah. <laughs> on point. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but in this, there's like there's two dungeon scenes. The second dungeon scene though is just Kirk and Spock trying to figure out what's going on, and it's like a classic Kirk and Spock figuring it out scene where it's like these aliens probed our minds. They they missed it. They they got it wrong. They. They aimed for our conscious mind and they only got the subconscious. And that's where all this weird, spooky imagery is coming from. And then Spock makes reference to Carl Jung, even though he doesn't specifically yeah, say so that. I, yeah, so I put that he makes a reference to the collective unconscious. And if you mm-hmm. want to read up more on that, you can. 
Yeah. But it's then, basically how people who wouldn't have any um, experience with something kind of know about it just from the collective unconscious. Also, they've that's how they kind of divine that or figure out that Korob and Sylvia are from another galaxy. And then, of course, I think the last great scene has to be Sylvia testing out her new sensations, trying to seduce Captain Kirk. <laughs> and Captain Kirk giving her a Heisman level st- stiff arm. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. And we get a little, we get some uh, Roddenberry misogyny in there, though. It's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Like, when can About... a woman in her mid 30s catch a break around here? <laughs> but it's a it's a good scene but it has the moment where she's changing all these different forms do you like what you see she says it she doesn't say it that way but that's literally what she says do you like (laughs) (laughs) she's changing from a blonde and and like the exotic thing Uh, the blonde uh that was not her best look yeah she looks better as the fake um elizabeth taylor yeah and you know through all this that's where they find that's where kirk figures out oh this this stupid looking wand that korob's been holding the transmuter that's where all this power is coming into but i i don't know that seduction scene was like that's classic kirk of course kirk's gonna have to fuck his way out of this problem yeah <laughs> uh and then i i guess i said those were the two great scenes last two great scenes i would be remiss if i didn't mention the final moments after the transmuter has been destroyed and they've been defeated, seeing the um, pipe cleaner, purple pipe cleaner aliens on marionette, the marionettes. Oh my God. Uh, when we yeah. see their real forms. I mean, it looks silly. Uh, and if you watch the original uh, unremastered version, the strings are even more obvious. Like oh, they, no. they, they digitally painted out some of the strings for the new release, but but the idea that they would look so alien, even though they have like flower hands and it's weird. Uh, I just, I like that ending. I just thought it's like, and then of course Spock being like, if only we could study them. <laughs> like he just flips. The, it's like, did we learn anything? I don't know. But uh, I, I don't know. It's a good classic Star Trek ending. Best Trek tropes. Um, I say red slash gold shirt death right at the top. Yes. Yes. Uh, and what a spectacular death it was. Oh, it was amazing. Like, ugh, like if, I wonder if they have like a red shirt death ranking. Oh, that's that's great. A, a power because, ranking for sure. Yeah, like because this is this got to be on there because this was done with style. Yes, I had that. I also had Kirk versus godlike aliens. I always like when. How's Captain Kirk going to get out of this? Well. Now we know more than half the time it's because they want to have sex with him. <laughs> yeah. I put it's ghosts, baby. Um, so sometimes on Star Trek, it's ghosts. And <laughs> I mean, there are there are ghosts in other Star Trek episodes. Excuse me. They prefer to be called anaphasic life forms. Okay. And well, sometimes they good. just need your maternal line to survive. Okay. Yeah, um, these particular ghosts weren't the orgasm-giving kind, but no, no. If there's <laughs> they were a power ranking, killers. if there's a ghost power ranking, they don't make the grade. I don't think. <laughs> uh, Spock calling Kirk Jim, always like that. I put down Spock trying to come up with a logical explanation for a haunted house. 
Um, oh, like, with, with his collective unconscious. <laughs> yeah, like he's like he's trying to. Well, he's working through it throughout the whole episode. Like, well, maybe like because he can't think of any other reason why someone would make this spooky dungeon. You know, with haunted house with cauldrons and black cats and warlocks and ghosts and everything. And he's right. It doesn't make any sense. And then my last one is clever way when the enterprise is in jeopardy in a ridiculous, stupid way. That's still awesome at the same time. So, you know, the metal replica of the enterprise, and then it gets put in the, the lucite, you know, we've, you know, any, it, it appears as a miniature on the desk and Re- requiem for Methuselah in season three. You've got Kirk looking inside. <laughs> they see a space <laughs> on the view screen. Like anytime they do those little moments of the enterprise, Dr. Crusher's trapped in the warp bubble, remember? And the Enterprise is, you know, surrounded by a bubble. Like any of those moments I like when the Enterprise is in uh, unconventional, ridiculous, magical jeopardy. I like that. Um, I also put that uh, you can't bribe a good Starfleet officer. Um, Korob tries to bribe them with trinkets and jewels. I'm like, no. Yes. This this doesn't work. Sorry. Uh, no, it's great. Any Anytime a bribe is offered to a captain or the officers of a ship, it's usually turned down, so. Yeah. Uh, worst Trek tropes. Oh, wait, wait. And then I put, because you already mentioned this, but I put Captain Kirk seduces his way out of a jam. <laughs> uh, worst Trek tropes. <laughs> well, the place is haunted, so let's send the captain and the <laughs> on the landing party. Yes, you got the... You've got already the chief engineer, you got the helmsman missing. So mm-hmm. we're going to send down the captain, the first officer, and the chief medical officer. Yeah. Let's send the highest ranking people on the ship. That's true. That's a good one. This guy showed up dead and, it, you know, says that the place is cursed and haunted. Let's go. Let's go. I I don't really have any other one. I mean, Gene Me neither, like, is... yeah, I don't really have any because I... There was I just thought it was so funny. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, most of it's time quality. Well, Chekhov's hair. Oh, un- unmistakable. Like, yes. Chekhov. How about just Chekhov? Chekhov, yeah, just Chekhov, period. The makeup on the ghosts. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really, like, identify that with the time, but, yeah, I mean, I guess that, that makes and I, sense. And again, I put the Elizabeth Taylor with the caftans and hair. That's great. I mean, the fact that you just, like, took the time to contact me while you were watching the episode. That's like, yeah. yeah. But I had Spock referring to the collective unconscious, which he says the psychological theory of the racial subconscious, which is in Jung's theory um, that, you know, cultures can have, uh, like, uh, their own subset of that but i thought that was also most of its time even though at the time this episode was like a 50 year old thought but like it's not something we hear too much of nowadays i I mean it does get fully 50 years but around there and then kirk asks korob why all the mumbo jumbo (laughs) i think mumbo jumbo Jumbo. is is a pretty 1967 (laughs) yeah i put the trick photography with the cat and then just the the sounds of the cat just makes it sound like the cat's in heat. <laughs> and if you've ever lived with a cat in heat, first of all, my apologies. And secondly, like, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Get your pet spayed or neutered, everybody. I mean, I guess you could also say the animal handlers in the 60s not knowing how to 
you know, just having to torture the animals to get what they need. And yeah. probably fiction writers not having any clue how to write a TV show. So <laughs> I think maybe those. Well, they missed the first, the first one, the first rule is don't write any kids or animals in it. Right. So that's right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> you know, he might've been one of the foundational uh, cases. Like, <laughs> I've that. learned through trial and error. <laughs> don't write a cat into your television screenplay and your teleplay. <laughs> now it's time for the line must be drawn here. Great lines. Captain Kirk, <laughs> Captain Kirk, go back. Remember the curse. Wind shall rise and fog descend. So leave here all or meet your end. <laughs> Spock, yeah. comment. Very bad poetry, Captain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> leave us place to... where you will all die. Yeah. <laughs> we have to act these out because we can't use the clips. So. <laughs> I also uh, put... I do not create the legend. I merely report it. Oh, I had that whole exchange. There are ancient earth legends about wizards and their familiars. Familiars? Demons and animal forms sent by Satan to serve the wizard. Super <laughs> <laughs> Just hearing Spock say that line. Yeah. Like, this is nuts. Uh, I liked Sylvia's whole talk about sensations. Um, what do they know of sensations? This is a new world when they're talking about the old ones. You're cruel. You torture our specimens. And that, too, is a new sensation. I find it stimulating. Um, I, I don't know. I like that her whole little speech about sensations. Although it is interesting. She's like, I like the finer things. I like to dress up. And I like to torture men. <laughs> if it yeah. pleases me. <laughs> the Anton Caridian Award for Best Performance. I put the cat. Oh, okay. And, and the caftan. <laughs> Because um, <laughs> cat, it's very difficult to get a cat to do anything. And, you know, that cat, that cat nailed it. I really thought its best performance in the episode was when it was surveying the hole that they fell through. It was like checking <laughs> its work and looking down at them and scampering around. I, I thought it was like good cat acting there. I believed you were in that moment <laughs> assessing what you had done. <laughs> All your classical uh, training has paid off. Cat. That's right. <laughs> Did you learn uh, that at Yale School of Drama? <laughs> I mean, I gave it to Theo Marcus, the, okay. the actor who plays Koran. I mean, I thought he was fantastic. I'm like, who is that? What happened to him? And then that's, I found out he died, which was a bummer. The Shatner. Walter Koenig's wig. I'm giving it to Walter oh, Koenig's Oh, okay. Wig. I was going to say the ghosts. Well, they had to be that. I mean, that's what the role was. So were they... I mean, if anything, Are you we thinking they could have gone for it more. Well, I'm saying if anyone was really going for it, then it had to have been Antoinette Bauer as uh, Sylvia. Okay, well, I guess we'll give it to the wig then. <laughs> I mean, he hadn't grown his hair out, so that that explains it. Um, but yeah, what part of this episode will they teach at Starfleet Academy? Do you think? Um, some collective unconscious stuff about spooky trick or treat nonsense. Yeah. I mean, obviously they're going to do an autopsy on those aliens. Oh no, they were turning into smoke. They, yeah, they're going sort of to, analysis. and then they're like, eh, yeah, best yeah. to leave it. Yeah. 
I'm melting. <laughs> That's exactly what happens. <sighs> uh, maybe something about whatever LaSalle's do or is LaS- whatever the lieutenant's doing on board to like break up the force field surrounding the ship. Seemed like mm-hmm. there was some engineering thing going on there. So <laughs> we've been asking this season if the episode could have been hornier, if that would have made the episode better. I think this episode was pretty horny. Yeah, so, it was uh, <laughs> it was horny. It was fine. Uh, also, we didn't really mention this, but there were some Spurk moments. You know, Kirk, the way he looks at Spock when when he's explaining trick or treat, he's he looks at him. He's like, you do great. I'll tell you about it later. <laughs> but also in the dungeon. Very lovely. In my private quarters. That's right. Uh, so since this episode is very horny, very horny, especially when yeah. Sylvia gets going, let's just relitigate the 1967 Emmys. Did the voters snub William Shatner? Um, who who were the other? Wait, I guess I have to click on this. That's why I sent you the notes before you. Okay, so there Shut were up, five. <laughs> there were five nominees: mm-hmm. uh, Martin Landau, Ben uh, for Mission Impossible, Ben Gazzara, mm-hmm. Run for Your Life, David Jansen, The Fugitive, literally the fucking fugitive, <laughs> Doctor Richard Kimball, um, and then Robert Culp and I Spy, and then the winner. Was someone named Bill Cosby, also for Ice? Never heard of him. So yes, he was robbed. <laughs> if that's who won, I think it's nuts that the two leads from the same show. I mean, they didn't they didn't split the vote. Uh, Shatner couldn't get in that's there wild. for Ben Gazzara. Run for your life. I guess I don't know what that show is. He was the but Ben Gazzara was the villain in Roadhouse. So I at least recognize who that is. And then I guess in the in the Emmy Awards in other non-lead categories, there are only three nominees for supporting. So uh, oh Leonard God. Nimoy was up against Eli mm-hmm. Wallach for Xerox Special and Leo G. Carroll for The Man from Uncle. And it went to Eli Wallach. So he's like a movie yeah, star. Yeah, I, w- I, I would say that, like, yeah, it's very difficult to beat Eli Wallach at acting. Yeah. Period. So... Sorry, Leonard. But was Shatner robbed? <laughs> and then I think Star Trek lost uh, for best nominator. Sorry, for best drama, which they Continue call dramatic series. Like- Mission Impossible won for okay. best dramatic series. It went up against Star Trek was in the same running as I Spy, Mission Impossible, Run for Your Life, and The Avengers. Good year for genre. Yeah. All right. So we're going to say that Shatner was, was snubbed. We get yeah. to now apply history to that. Maybe if there was five. I don't, yeah, I don't know. But I can't. The name of the category was continued performance by an actor in a leading role in a dramatic series. Which is such a convoluted way of saying lead actor. But OK. Yeah. Yeah. Continued performance. All right. So Trek, marry or kill Catspaw. Trek. Yes. A, a surprisingly strong it. Trek. Cute. from me yeah um i have a stray thought okay so another soap opera thing i noticed during this episode so koro has what is called a lurk and listen when he hears a cat the cat lady sylvia calling him an idiot he's like behind the wall listening to the whole thing oh it has a like, term yeah it's called a lurk and listen it was a very artistic shot i really liked it mm-hmm he, and yeah. then it, it did have a couple of weird close-ups on him where he was like, what? To make it clear that he's aware that 
something's their relationship is frayed but yeah uh the lurk and listen that's great he, he did, yeah that he should... does a very good job of it that was fun uh, you know that's one of the few times i can honestly say it was a purely fun episode of star trek that didn't bump in a way that that kind of ruined any of that fun i guess yeah. the blown up kitty cat the force <laughs> perspective i think was it's tough I, look again <laughs> had i been watching that at the time i'd be like that's really cheesy it's just yeah but it's a halloween episode so i probably would have been like eh, who cares yeah good job everyone they set out to make a halloween episode and they nailed it it's it's like mm-hmm. the only time in star trek history where they set out to make a holiday themed episode i'm glad that that's the only time because thinking yeah. about who's you know has had control of the show in the years since probably wouldn't have turned out so well so good job everybody mm-hmm. uh, for cat's bob Folks, don't forget, we're going to be dropping a bonus episode every month from now on. We're going to play Trek, Mary Kill with two episodes from either the animated series or Lower Decks. And the first of those episodes is tomorrow. So if you're listening to this on Halloween, November 1st, first of every month, we're going to drop uh, one uh, one hour long episode that's going to have two animated episodes. And this week or this month, is going to be uh, the first two episodes of the original animated series uh, from Star Trek, uh, Beyond the Farthest Star and Yesteryear. And joining me will be Lori Ulster from trekmovie.com. And um, and yeah, so Kristen, next week, I'm going to have you come back and we're going to kick off our first real theme month mm. of the year. We're going to start the trials of season two across all the Star Trek shows. For the most part, there is a trial episode of some kind. And oh, guilty. <laughs> I'm going to say that a lot. <laughs> so Strange New Worlds at Astra Paraspera, an episode that asks, can the show capably write around Anson Mount's limited availability to deliver their take on the next generation's measure of a man? We'll find out. So anyway, thanks for listening. We'll be back, like I said, tomorrow and next week. You can check out TrekMaryKillPod.com for all of our standings for all the different series. And so until next time, TMK out. Spooky. Goodbye. Captain Kirk. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>